dirge without music. I am not resigned to the shutting away of loving hearts in the hard ground. So it is, so it will be, for so it has been, time out of mind. Into the darkness they go, the wise and the lovely, crowned with lilies and with laurels they go, but I am not resigned. Lovers and thinkers into the earth with you, be one with the dull, the indiscriminate dust, a fragment of what you felt, of what you knew, a formula, a phrase remains, but the best is lost. The answers, quick and keen, the honest look, the laughter, the love, they are gone. They are gone to feed the roses. Elegant and curled is the blossom. Fragrant is the blossom. I know, but I do not approve. More precious was the light in your eyes than all the roses in the world. Down, down, down into the darkness of the grave, gently they go. The beautiful, the tender, the kind, quietly they go. The intelligent, the witty, the brave. I know, but I do not approve, and I am not resigned. Sweetness. Just when it has seemed I couldn't bear one more friend waking with a tumor, one more maniac with a perfect reason, often a sweetness has come and changed nothing in the world, except the way I stumbled through it, for a while lost in the ignorance of loving someone or something. The world shrunk to mouth size hand size, and never seeming small. I acknowledge there is no sweetness that doesn't leave a stain, no sweetness that's ever sufficiently sweet. Tonight a friend called to say his lover was killed in a car he was driving. His voice was low and guttural. He repeated what he needed to repeat and I repeated the one or two words we have for such grief until we were speaking only in tones. Often a sweetness comes as if on loan, stays just long enough. Long enough to make sense of what it means to be alive. Then returns to its dark source. As for me, I don't care where it's been or what bitter road it's traveled to come so far, to taste so good. This one is called, Sometimes I am startled out of myself. Like this morning when the wild geese came squawking, flapping their rusty hinges, and something about their trek across the sky made me think about my life. The places of brokenness, the places of sorrow, the places where grief has strung me out to dry. And then the geese come calling, the leader falling back when tired, and another taking her place. Hope is born on wings, 
Look at the trees. They turn to gold for a, for a while and then lose it each November. Through the cold months they stand, take the worst weather has to offer, and still they put out shy green leaves come April, come May. The geese glide over the cornfields, land on the pond with his sedges and reeds. You do not have to be wise. Even a goose knows how to find shelter, where the corn still lies in the stubble and dried stalks. All we do is pass through here the best way we can. They stitch up the sky and it is whole again. Grief. Grief turns out to be a place none of us know until we reach it, writes Joan Didion. All we can do is, is pass through the valley of the shadow of death the best we know how. Because of the shooting, some of us are here in this valley for the first time. Some of us are long-term residents. Some of us have yet to visit. And first, I need to speak to what has happened in our community. The best I know, Rachel, with her neighbor being shot, is the, is the closest link we have to the shootings, no, the, the alleged shooter and the victims. But even if we don't have personal connections to those whose lives were altered, we doesn't mean we are not traumatized. Some of us watched all the news we could. Some of us listened to the events unfold on our police scanners. Many of us have been in the places where the shootings happened or passed them regularly. Especially with no motive still known, it is easy to think that could have happened to me. I could have been among the dead. We try and we fail to make sense of what is ultimately senseless. Our community has been traumatized and terrorized, and any illusions we once held about safety, certainty, control, our ability to protect those we love are crumbling. Our world might not feel the same as it did last Saturday morning. And traumas, even ones we don't experience directly, affect our bodies, our minds, and our souls. I have some handouts at the back of the sanctuary on the cart where we keep our hymnals that are prepared by the Unitarian Universalist Trauma Response Ministry because they have handouts prepared for these sorts of things, which is its own heartbreaking reality. And they, these handouts describe typical reactions to being traumatized among adults and children, as well as ways to respond. So I encourage you to pick them up on your way out and look at them. In adults, typical reactions to traumatic experiences include anxiety, guilt, fatigue, lack of concentration, increased conflict in our relationships, spiritual disconnection, and about 20 other symptoms. All of it is normal, which doesn't make it any easier to bear, but it is normal. The handouts offer ideas for how to cope, if this is your new reality. 
In children, a common reaction to trauma is regression. A child that has mastered potty training might start wetting the bed again. A child might return to behaviors that were common for them two or three or four years ago. Children and adults dealing with trauma might complain of physical symptoms like stomach aches or a pounding heart. Teenagers might isolate, express helplessness, or get into trouble in new ways. Again, all of this is normal. It doesn't make it any easier, but it is normal. After a traumatic event, it is important to talk to children about what happened in age-appropriate ways, to reassure them that you, can do every, you will do everything you can to keep them safe. School-age children are surely already talking about this with their classmates, and they need to hear from the adults who love them. Even toddlers might sense that the adults closest to them are especially sad or worried or on edge. And it's important for their parents to name that they're feeling those emotions and it has nothing to do with the children because otherwise children in their self-absorption tend to think that they are the cause of their parents' emotions. And if you need help figuring out how to best speak with your children, please talk to me or Diane, our Director of Religious Education. And if these reactions do not run their course over the next few weeks, if symptoms increase in intensity rather than lessen, if your body or soul's or mind's reaction to this trauma interferes with your ability to live your life, it might be time to seek out a professional to help you blaze a trail out of the valley of shadows. And if you need help locating someone, please, again, come talk to me. The grief that comes after trauma, especially a vicarious trauma that is not our experience directly, is not the same as the grief that comes from more personal losses, the deaths and disappointments that mark our days. And I am so aware this week that words are of very limited usefulness with all of this. There are no magic healing words that I could say from this pulpit that would make things okay. The only way out of the valley of the shadow of death is through. There aren't shortcuts. It's a lonesome journey that if we love, we all must take. That said, there are things we should know about the experience of grief. And I usually say some version of this when I leave memorial services to help us remember what it means to grieve. There is no one way to grieve. And it can be especially challenging to remember this when people react to a shared loss in different ways. Normal reactions include anger, sadness, withdrawal, stopping everything to mourn, or not feeling much at all at first and carrying on with one's life. It is important to let yourself grieve in the way your emotions and body tell you you need to. In the midst of grief, there are days of pure sadness that give way to confusion or disorientation. Grief ebbs and it flows. It ignores our busy lives and what we think are our needs. We set aside time to grieve and find only numbness. And then we are driving or listening to music or grocery shopping and feel the tears of sadness, regret, rage, and despair rise unbidden. The task of grief is paradoxical. 
We need to hold onto the parts of the person who has died or the loss, the dream that has been lost that will be ours forever. The stories, the memories, and the love. And at the same time, we honor what we have lost and let go. There are ways to make grieving more bearable, to make our heavy load of grief easier to carry. The children shared some of them earlier. We need to take care of our bodies, get enough sleep, eat well, exercise if we can. It is important to have people listen to us to talk about our losses if we want to talk. It is also important, and this might be the most important, to be patient with the grieving process. Grief is hard work and slow work, and grieving a significant loss takes months. Loss often sets us on a new trajectory. We slowly find our way to a new normal. Our loss and our grief will always be part of who we are, and we learn to carry this new burden and are not the same as we were before. This is all normal. Not easy, but normal. And though each of us needs time to grieve alone, we also need to return to our communities. We need to seek out one another and our sources of nourishment and strength. Today we gather to be together, to hold one another in grief, to remember that life is fragile and life is precious. Some say that grief is the price we pay for loving. We live and love knowing that we will ultimately lose everything and everyone that is important to us. Often we can push that truth out of mind and get on with our days, but the truth is that grief will come for us. The wise ones tell us that grief can also be a gift. We usually don't realize this until the valley of the shadows is in our rearview mirror when we're healed enough that our grief is no longer our primary reality, but the low-grade, perpetually broken heart that is our constant companion if we live and love in this world. Khalil Gibran, in our words for reflection in our order of service, reminds us that the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. Frances Weller is a psychotherapist who specializes in grief and sorrow. And he says, this life we have is incredibly short, but we've been blessed with it. When we shut off our grief, we forget that. To let grief work its alchemy on you yields gravitas, by which I mean the ability to be present with the bittersweet reality of life, which always includes loss. There's no way to be spared sorrow. I wouldn't even wish that upon someone. But we shouldn't get stuck in our grief. It's not a permanent address, but a companion that walks beside us. Everything I love, I will lose. That's the harsh truth. You either have to shut down your heart and miss the love that is around you, or wrestle with that truth and come to the other end. There is indeed such a thing as joyful sorrow. Weller continues, The work of the mature person is to carry grief in one hand and gratitude in the other, and to be stretched large by them. How much sorrow can I hold? That's how much gratitude I can give. 
If I carry only grief, I'll bend towards cynicism and despair. If I have only gratitude, I'll become saccharine and won't develop much compassion for other people's suffering. Grief keeps the heart fluid and soft, which helps make compassion possible. We need to walk through this world with grief in one hand and gratitude in the other and be stretched large. That is our only option if we live lives of love, lives that are destined for seasons of grief. And I close my reflection today with a poem from Gregory Orr. It is untitled. Grief will come to you, he writes. Grip and cling all you want. It makes no difference. Catastrophe, it's just waiting to happen. Loss, you can be certain of it. Flow and swirl of the world carried along as if by a dark current. All you can do is keep swimming. All you can do is keep singing.